Good morning. Uh, this morning, as uh, you saw earlier, the title of this morning's message is Christ Our Surety. Or, I love the subtitles that God gives me. Does anyone here need a co-signer? <laughs> Several years ago, I read a, an old book from the 1800s. One of the chapters was about Christ being our surety. Now that's not something you normally hear today, the word surety. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, verse 22, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That's the New King James Version. The ESV Version says it this way. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So what exactly is a surety or a guarantor? Well, if you look in just an ordinary dictionary, it says a surety is one who undertakes to fulfill the obligation of another. A surety. That sounds pretty easy. In other words, if I make a pledge to give a certain amount of money and I find that I don't have it, a surety would be one that says, I can do that for you. Very easy. If someone undertakes my obligation to pay a debt. A guarantor, though, if you look in an ordinary dictionary, says this. A guarantor is a person or a company that guarantees that a loan or other type of debt will be paid. Usually this person or company agrees to pay another person's debt or perform that person's duty if he or she should fail to do so themselves. The term is most commonly used in reference to financial assistance. An example of this would be a parent who co-signs a student loan for a child would be considered the guarantor. If the child defaults on his or her debt, the parent then would be held liable for the remainder of the loan. So a surety or a guarantor is somebody who has the ability and the means to ensure or guarantee that a debt will be paid in full. And so the student loan is a really good example of that. <laughs> because when a young adult goes to school, they often think, well, I'm going to get out of school and get this great job. <laughs> and I'll be able to pay back all these student loans just like that. And uh, if the economy isn't supporting that at the time, what often has happened in the past is that the parents then, because they're the co-signer, they're the guarantor, they're the one that has the means and the ability, they end up paying the loan until the child does get a job. In today's vernacular, what I just talked about is what we call a co-signer rather than a, a surety. There used to be a very big difference, even in financially, years ago. The book I read was actually used this term surety and it had in parentheses co-signer. Back then, it was the same. A surety and a co-signer was the same thing. So that's why I, I liked the title, Does Anyone Here Need a, a Co-Signer? Somebody who will be liable for their debt. Well, of course, everybody needs one of those. <laughs> He's called Jesus. He is our surety. In a co-signer relationship in today's vernacular, it means co-responsible. It's not like it used to be. A guarantor was something that was secondary. If the child wanted to go to school and got a loan, a guarantor was not on the hook until all possibility of the child making the payment came to an end. Say there was a bankruptcy or something like that. When all means of getting paid back was 
obsolete. Then the guarantor was called on. That's not the way it is with a cosigner. Cosigner is co-responsible. And that's what we really see in today's financial situation when you think about a cosigner. Because the student who's just got a job may say, okay, mom and dad, I'm paying for it now. And they pay for six months, but then the company that they work for downsizes. Last one hired, first one out. <laughs> Mom and dad now get to go back to paying the loan. They're co-responsible. That is not what Jesus is for us. That's what you need to know. We are not co-responsible for paying the debt for our sin. So much of the church today, even though they know Jesus paid it all, they're still trying to make up or make restitution or pay back God somehow with the concept of, I'm going to help God. I'm co-responsible. It's not true. Jesus is the guarantor that he has the ability and the means to take care of our entire debt by himself without our help. <laughs> Amen? Because a cosigner is someone who is equally liable for a debt, a creditor could obtain payment from either party. A cosigner did not release the debtor from his debt. The obligation to pay the debt would go back and forth as the principal person was able to pay. The concept of Jesus being our surety and being our guarantor of our debt. Every human being born has a debt to God because we are born sinners. When we sin against God, we often feel like we now have a debt that needs to be paid. That's condemnation. That is not from God. We have no debt, no debt. Jesus paid an eternal payment with his own blood. There is no co-payment <laughs> with Christ. We have a picture of this concept of a guarantor in the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is about a runaway slave. His name was Onesimus. Paul is writing this, this letter to his friend Philemon. Philemon is a believer, and Onesimus, the runaway slave, is a believer. But the runaway slave ran away to Rome, where Paul was. And it appears that under his ministry, Onesimus was converted and came to Christ. He became of great value to Paul. And so Paul writes this letter. It appears that something happened that he thought was irreparable. Some scholars think that probably he stole something, stole money, or he did some sort of damage that he thought was irreparable, whatever that would look like. It doesn't really tell us what it is the slave did. But he figured he was done, so he left. <laughs> and so he ran off to Rome and got saved. Thank you, Jesus. So he is actually in the ministry with Paul as a runaway, completely saved slave. And so Paul decides to intercede on his behalf with his owner because he is actually property. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. He and Philemon have mutual friends. It looks like they had a real friendship that may have led to Onesimus actually running away to find him. So it starts in, there's only one chapter. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So you see, Paul is telling him how much he's appreciated. You can see that this man is truly a believer of Christ, obviously a great servant of the Lord. And Paul is singing his praises and declaring his gratitude for all that he does for the saints. But then comes the part about Onesimus. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. And how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you would count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have the joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. I never really thought about this letter much, actually. It's one chapter. And you don't really see a lot of doctrine, necessarily. But what you do see is this transaction between Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. This is actually a good picture of what a surety does. A surety, a guarantor, is somebody who will pay your debt completely. Now, a guarantor has to be able, willing, and approved. Paul here says, I can't do this without your permission. Okay? The creditor, if you will, the person owed the debt, does have the ability to say, I approve whether or not this is a proper guarantor. Paul knows that he is loved by Philemon. And I love this. It kind of looks like he's kind of twisting his arm a little bit. <laughs> you owe me your very self. <laughs> but there is no such arm twisting when it comes to our Heavenly Father. We see in this picture, though, that Paul, because he so loves this Onesimus, says, you are not free, and I want you to be. So I will be the surety, the guarantor. You have a debt you can't pay, ever. You're a slave. There's no way for you to pay this. So this is what I'll do. I will be your surety, your guarantor. I will pay everything off for you, provided your owner 
says this is acceptable. And of course, that is what we see. Well, we don't see, actually. We assume. <laughs> we assume he approves of this. Because Paul basically says, I know you're going to do this, because I know your heart. And so we see this picture of somebody who loves somebody enough to pay their debt entirely and completely, who is approved by the creditor, and then who loves the person who needs to be released. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this scenario, Paul represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, you all were a bunch of runaway slaves. <laughs> Jesus said that um, whoever sins is a slave to sin. That means that we, because we were born a sinner, we're constantly going to be a slave to that nature until we're redeemed and bought out of that system. And so we were runaway slaves, just like Onesimus. And we needed a guarantor, somebody who would step in and say, I love you so much, I want you to have the privilege of being completely and entirely free. Now, remember, no co-payment. A guarantor, there's no co-payment. So when Onesimus would go back to his owner, if Paul had paid the entire debt, he probably actually paid for the price of the, the slave as well, because otherwise he wouldn't be free, and he wouldn't be able to come back and minister with Paul. So he is made completely free to make the choice. Do I want to serve with Paul? Do I want to stay with my master? In the Old Testament, slaves, if they loved their masters, would become indentured for life. They would commit themselves to their master out of love forever. Another picture of us. We so love the Lord Jesus Christ that we give him our life forever. So we see that Paul is the guarantor. Lehman, in a very odd kind of way, represents the Father God, the one who has the debt. And Paul is confident that the slave will no longer be a slave. In the picture, we don't see the outcome, but we trust that it's there. When I was reading all of this and studying for this, I thought, what's the real purpose here? Is the real purpose for Onesimus to be set free and go work <laughs> for Paul? And the Lord said, no, no, that's not the real purpose. The real purpose is to restore relationship. You see, he had a broken relationship with the person who owned him. God wanted to restore and make right that which was broken. We see then the analogy with us and Jesus and the Father. Mankind had a broken relationship with God. We had no way to get back. The only way for us to be restored as sons would be for someone a surety to stand in our place and pay our debt. When I was studying this, the, the scripture that came to my mind was in, in John, where he says in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father the night before his death. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, and that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me 
and that you loved them even as you loved me. That's the ESV version. God's heart has always been about restoring relationship, restoring sonship, and giving us back the freedom that true sons have. One of the things I wondered about with this uh, word surety is does it appear anywhere else in Scripture? And of course it does. It actually occurs several times in the Old Testament. But not necessarily the same word that I'm, I'm going to take you to. I refer to the law first mentioned a lot. Um, and this is, so I looked it up because like, I thought, you know, a lot of people may not really understand what the law first mention is. And this is what it actually means. The law first mention, which simply means that the very first time any important word is, is mentioned in the Bible, Scripture gives us that word its most complete and accurate meaning to not only serve as a key in understanding the word's biblical concept, but also to provide a foundation for its fuller development in later parts of the Bible. So when we use the law of first mention, what that says is, and all scholars believe this is not something we made up, all scholars believe that because most of the first mentions are going to be where? In Genesis, because that's where the beginning of, of the scripture began. And so we find a lot of the first mentions right there. The word surety, the one that we looked at here, Jesus being our guarantee, our guarantee that when we stand before God at any time and any place, that our sin is completely and already paid for. When the Lord was ministering to me this concept of him being my co-signer, he wanted me to think of it in terms of a continual co-signer. Because as human beings, we are not going to be perfect. And so what he was trying to convey to me is this concept of even though Jesus died once for all time, for all people, for all sin. He is my continual cosigner. He will always be my surety. If I fail in any way, he steps in and says, I have paid it all. He has already paid for all. He's my continual. I can constantly call on that note, if you will, on that responsibility, on that surety. He is always going to be sufficient for whatever debt I owe the Lord. That's the other thing. The Lord does not want us to have a debt consciousness. When we sin, we tend to have a debt consciousness. That's condemnation. He, like with Onesimus, wants us to be completely free to love him. He never wants us to feel like we are under the obligation to love him, under the obligation to serve him. That was really a, a revelation to me, because for so many years, I had heard, he gave it all for you, you owe him everything. Now do I understand what they mean by that? Yeah. But that's not the mindset God wants us to have, that we are now indentured servants to him. We're not. We are made family. We are made restored. We are made completely free to choose to love him, to choose to honor him to choose to be at his beck and call because of great love, not because of great obligation. So much of the church feels the weight and debt and heaviness of you have to perform. You have to do things that make yourself pleasing to God. It's sometimes so subtle with, with songs and, you know, he gave it all for you, you give it all for him. <laughs> you know, give until it hurts. That's never 
never God's heart. He says, if you can't wait to give, don't give. He wants your heart to be all about how much you're loved and how much you know he loves you. It's about us becoming sons that are free from every kind of slavery. He never wants us to ever feel like we are obliged to do something, that we are indebted to him that way. He truly sets us completely free. This idea of surety, of, of somebody stepping into my place and taking care of all of my debt, I really like this concept. Jesus, my surety, my co-signer. Whatever debt, even financially, physically, whatever it is, I have a surety, a guarantee that it's taken care of. It's completely paid for. I can trust him to take care of me. I can trust him in everything. Now, the, where this, this uh, word surety shows up is actually within the story of Joseph in Genesis. In uh, 43 verse 9, it says this. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Now who is this? I didn't tell you. <laughs> His name is, is Judah. What has happened here is there has been a famine in the land. Joseph is the, uh, the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. There's a famine in the land and the Ten remaining sons of Jacob are forced to go to Egypt to get food. Well, since Joseph, the person they sold into slavery, is now at the right hand of Pharaoh and in control of all the money, they run into him. <laughs> they, of course, do not know Joseph is who he is. But he recognizes them. And so begins a little manipulation. <laughs> we see Joseph trying to get facts about his family that he, he misses, his father and his brother. Now he has every right not to trust these ten. These ten sold him into slavery. So you can see why he's not being forthcoming with them. They were not reliable and trustworthy. So he says to them, oh, you guys are spies. We just came here for food. We're not here to cause trouble. Well, see, now now Joseph has the information he wants. Aha, my dad is alive, and so is my little brother. How do I get him here? <laughs> well, what happens is, because he says he has accused them of being spies, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll keep one of you here. The rest of you can go home. And then when you come back for food again, you bring Benjamin. Now, of course, there's nothing they can do about this. They either have to do it or not come back for food. But the famine is so long and so harsh that they've very quickly run out of food. And so they have to go back again. But they know they cannot come back without Benjamin. If they do, he'll kill them all as spies. So it, all the sons will be lost if they don't do something. So they go to Jacob, Israel, and says, this is the way it is. You have to let us take Benjamin. You have to. Otherwise, everybody perishes. And he says, finally, he gives in. And Judah says, look, Dad, this is what I'll do. I will personally guarantee his safe return. If I don't, 
then I will be on the hook forever. So he finally agrees to go. And this is where he says, I will be surety. I will be the guarantee that this happens. Jesus is our guarantee that what he said he did, he did. It is finished. It is complete. This is the same kind of action. Judah is a type of Christ. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. So we see Judah saying to the father figure, I will be the payment. This is your guarantee. I am making sure that you know, Father, I will bring back your son, Benjamin. And so they go. This concept of him being a surety, it's really quite a picture as I began to, to look at it. Because in the other places in scripture, when, when they use this word surety, normally it's about Jesus being our surety, our guarantee that we are accepted with the Father, that all of our sins are taken care of, that we have free access to heaven, that we have free access to uh, everything the blood of Jesus Christ has bought. He's our guarantee. But in this picture, we see him as the Father's guarantee. Jesus guarantees, just like Judah here did, that he will bring Benjamin home safe. In this picture, we are Benjamin. We are the Benjamin. Christ is our elder brother. Judah is the elder brother of Benjamin. Christ is our elder brother. And so the picture is Christ standing in and declaring to God the Father, I will bring them home. I guarantee it. Now, when I was studying for this, it wasn't an easy message. And I'm like, Lord, put this together for me because um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm painting the picture well enough. And the Lord brought some information to me this week. Somebody I love, who is a believer, who is a son, who has been spirit-filled and tongue-talking most of his life, has gone into a far country. And most of the time, I just don't look. <laughs> it's easier to believe God when I don't see the mess, when I don't see what my eyes can see and my ears can hear. So I just say, Lord, I don't want to see what, what's going on. I just trust you to bring him back. Yesterday during worship at school, the Lord brought this picture to me. And it was really funny because I could see it, not like me and you face to face, but as I was looking down on the picture, and he began to show me. He says, look, you're, you're Benjamin. Your son is Benjamin. And I am the guarantee that he will make it home safe. I am the guarantee that he is not lost. I am the guarantee that I will bring him back and set him before the Father. That's what Judah says. I will set him before you. And he says that word to set before you is to set before you permanently. We can rest assured that Christ is our guarantee that there's no reason for the Lord to say no to us in anything. And he's our Father's guarantee that he is able to bring us home. All of us. All of us. 
those who are at home in the house and those who wander off to far countries. If we are his, if we are his, he says, I am the guarantee. We started in Hebrews 7, and we're going to end in Hebrews 7. We started with verse 22. I'm going to read through 25. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant, a guarantee of a better covenant. It's not a lamb-by-lamb lamb salvation anymore. It's not a sin-by-sin sin salvation anymore. It's an eternal once-and-forever salvation. It's so much better than what the Old Testament had. This passage he's talking, he's comparing the Old Testament priests with Jesus, our high priest. And he says, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. In other words, he's saying part of the problem with the Old Covenant is that the priests, high priests, kept dying off. That made it an imperfect covenant, part of the problem, so to speak. Because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. He always lives to make intercession. We saw in the picture with Joseph, it was Jesus who went to the Father interceding for Benjamin. I, I will make sure. I, I will be the guarantee. I, intercession is someone who brings this person and this person together. Restoration. Just like with Onesimus, the whole point of intercession is restoration. He will not leave anyone in a far country. If you are his, he is able to save to the uttermost. Amen? I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are perfect. That you are a perfect priest of a perfect sacrifice, of a perfect salvation. There is nothing lacking in the new covenant. Nothing. We stand before you holy and righteous and perfect in your sight. We are in Christ, and so you see us the same way you see him. And you love us the same way you love him. The word tells us as he is, so are we in this world. We are never never without you. Even as Judah went with Benjamin all of the way to the far country, you go with those we love who wander to far countries. And you never leave and you never forsake because you're the guarantee. You're the guarantee to the Father and you're the guarantee to us. Your word is true and unbreakable and you save to the uttermost. And Father, I thank you for your grace. Your amazing, scandalous grace that you save those who wander. <laughs> that you go after them, you never leave them, you always redirect them. You have promised your Father that you will not lose any of them. And Father, I praise you that I can rest, rest from my labors, rest from the heaviness of debt, rest in your goodness, that you are my co-signer, that you are my surety, that you are my guarantee. And because of that, I can rest. 
I can rest in the arms that love me with an everlasting love. I can rest knowing you never forsake. You always undertake for us. In the last few weeks, Father, we've been talking about promises and the promises that you make to us. Father God, I thank you that Jesus guarantees, guarantees every promise is good. Every promise. I thank you, Father God, that you tell us to remember that you are our surety. Our, you are the guarantee. I wish I could just somehow paint a picture that everyone would, would be able to see that they, they are no longer a runaway slave. They are a beloved son, no matter what they've done. Your grace is amazing. Your love is amazing. And Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. All the days of my life, I thank you because you are my continual guarantee. You have a perpetual priesthood. The work is finished. And we both can rest. In Jesus' name, amen.